Hello, I'm Scotia Monkovic. Welcome back for another episode of Creative Responders in Conversation, our monthly interview series where we hear from people on the front lines of the arts and emergency management sector as they prepare, respond and recover from disaster. This month we're joined by Jeremy Smith. I caught up with Jeremy in Sydney in March, just ahead of the COVID-19 physical distancing restrictions as he was wrapping up his four-year tenure with the Australia Council and about to embark on the journey back to his hometown of Perth. It was a race against time and logistics, with a looming state border closure, but he is now safely back on the West Coast and settling into his new role with the Perth Institute of Contemporary Arts, or PICA as it's known. As many of our listeners would be aware, The Australia Council for the Arts is the Australian Government's arts funding and advisory body. Jeremy is a beloved figure in the Australian arts community. His Australia Council role as Arts Practice Director for Community, Emerging and Experimental Arts, Grants and Engagement saw him engage with a vast range of practitioners from all corners of the country. As you will hear in our chat, he has long been a champion for regional arts and community arts and cultural development as well as a passionate advocate for celebrating difference and transforming othering attitudes. I'm really pleased we had the chance to catch up at this important time of transition for Jeremy, to hear his reflections on the past few years and take a bit of a deep dive into community arts and cultural development. So enjoy this conversation with creative responder Jeremy Smith. So I'm here with Jeremy Smith where... um, meeting today on the Eora Nation countries and I'd like to start Jeremy by uh, asking you to introduce yourself tell us a little bit about who you are and what where you're from and thank you um, so Jeremy Smith I have been um, living here in Sydney on the land of the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation for the last four years um, born and raised on Wajat Noongar um, which is now known as Perth, and um, spent predominantly my working career in the arts, working in and around community arts and cultural development, um, working with organisations back home, including the Awesome Festival, where I did a lot of regional arts development work, um, Dada, who are an arts and disability organisation, um, where I did, again, a lot of regional arts and health work and, um, and then did a lot of work um, actually through the mining sector um, and social investment and then made my way over here to the Australia Council where I've been for the last four years the Director of Community Arts and Experimental Arts, getting to work with wonderful organisations like Creative Recovery Network. Well, thank you. Jeremy, can you tell us a little bit what your role has been? What does that constitute? So it was a new role um, with all of the organisational changes that took place um, 
in uh, 2014 and 15 after um, budget changes and whatnot for the arts sector. And so it amalgamated the portfolios of community arts and cultural development and emerging and experimental arts. So essentially a lot of the more dynamic and interdisciplinary art form practice areas. Um, and as I said, my experience was more um, associated with the CACD part of that portfolio coming into the job, but it's been really lovely um, making this new role and, and bringing together different parts of interdisciplinary practice um, over these four years. It's been great. So for our listeners who aren't from the arts, and even many in the arts don't necessarily know what community arts and cultural development are. Could you, from your perspective, give us a bit of an overview of what that is? Yeah, my perspective, it's because um, I think a lot of people have their own personal definitions and ideas about it, but I sort of like to feel it's certainly all about professional practice and then just the way that communities... Um, and that role of what it, and definition of what is a community, it could be people of a geographic location, of the same lived experience, of a same form of self-identification, expressing themselves creatively in association with artists um, and maintaining that creative control of, of process and form at all levels. And I guess um, one thing that CACD has done exceptionally well for you know, for many, many years now, is bringing other sectors to the table um, and, um, and, and bringing the arts to other areas such as health, wellbeing, education, um, disability and, and other forms of um, our society as well. So that's, I guess that's my sort of thing and, and I guess that sort of um, expectation and um, practice of rigour and, um, and protocol and best practice in all its ways as well. So what brought you to this field in the first place? You're a practising artist. How did you get involved in community practice? It was actually really interesting. I um, started. I studied lighting design at WAPA in Perth, which is the WA Academy of Performing Arts. And I started working for the Awesome Festival as their production manager. And um, at that stage, you know, in Perth was quite small and still is to a certain degree, but there was an opportunity for me to get year-round work. And um, I spoke to the then director of the festival and ended up getting a fellowship through Young People in the Arts at Arts WA and travelling to Canada and worked with the Vancouver Children's Festival. And that's when I had my first opportunity to start working in a community context um, with what, you know, the Canadians would call socially isolated or socially disadvantaged groups, and then was able to bring that back and start working um, with Awesome on regional arts development activities called, on a program called the Creative Challenge, which worked in 10 regional, rural and remote communities across Western Australia each year with professional artists helping those young people in each of those communities to self-determine a new work um, that would then be presented each year at the Awesome Festival in Perth. So that was my beginnings and then I've sort of followed that thread ever since really. It's been really exciting. So what do you see the value that the arts bring into those kind of contexts? It's I've always seen it as new forms of self-expression, of finding identity, of um, unhiding, of um, 
celebrating place a lot of the time. So, you know, areas of um, geographic areas within a certain community or stories of a certain community that people may have just taken for granted or whatever. And because um, a lot of my practice began in regional communities around WA, as I've said. So um, helping to unhide the stories of people who either are lost or forgotten or or kept aside and, and how the arts have been able to bring those out and get the whole community to celebrate and recognise and um, talk about the importance of those sorts of um, matters of place and identity, I think something that I've always felt very dear and close about. So in that context, how do you see that relating back into particularly communities impacted by disasters that's the container of our work how do you see the relationship yeah I think that hysteria and immediacy of impact in those situations can um, erase identity in a lot of cases I think because people are so um, rightfully um, concerned about the immediacy of a response and the the need to um, react and, and respond and, and work out how to recover quickly. But there is a long story of, um, of um, well, of everything, of, of celebration, of identity, of um, storytelling, of um, uh, place that still needs to always be considered in terms of informing how a community responds and recovers in those sorts of situations. Um, it's important to not forget what's happened before and to, to know that you can learn from those um, things that you may have always taken from granted and how they can sort of help a community recover and respond and, um, and reconnect um, and find new ways to be cohesive and to, um, to talk, really. So um, what do you think are the specific, well, can you be specific in terms of what are the characteristics or the essence that artists bring into a space that would be useful for when we're looking at recovery processes? I always think that artists and arts workers have different thought patterns. And so th see things differently. I think I've always, you know, I've spent five years working in a mining company in Rio Tinto, working on community investment and social investment. And I often found the ideas that I brought to conversations and coming from an arts background were very different to what a group of engineers and financial managers and um, logistics um, personnel were considering. And so I think that whole... Um, way that we work um, around propensity to take measured risks, to use innovation, to use creativity, is something that I think in these times that the arts can really um, uh, offer to, to society more broadly. In terms of other um, ways of looking at the application of the arts, uh, into other sectors like the emergency management sector. Where do you see the process of how we might influence more particularly into a preparedness space rather than, you know, we're in a, a moment of crisis and a moment of um, 
immediate sort of responding, but how might you see that we could layer into more long-term design or creative thinking? Yeah, it's... I think often we're hauled in in times of crisis, but then it's that way that we get a seat at the table on an ongoing basis to be part of the conversation when we aren't facing... um, the immediacy of recovery and, and, and actual implementation, but how we actually get there. And I think that's through, um, I tend to think the stories of impact and storytelling of the, um, you know, sharing of success, um, because there is a lot of that, but then I think so often that becomes siloed into preaching to the converted and it's a, how we can look at getting cut through to other sectors, and as you say in this instance, emergency management, sorry, um, to sort of look at the work of Creative Recovery Network and independents and other organisations that have been doing remarkable work um, in recent years to, you know, demonstrate the evidence and the need and the importance of the arts being there on an ongoing basis and not just um, brought in to help with the recovery. Um, so I think, and that's sort of a thing about you know, different levels of government, be it ministerial level, be it the senior bureaucrats, be it agency to agency and and working together, connecting the dots and and having a a whole of society focus um, in the way that we demonstrate the um, evidence and the impact of the arts and creativity more broadly. It's interesting because one of the biggest challenges within uh, emergency management recovery practice, I think, is notions of time and how we manage time and our our economic and political frameworks put deadlines to things but our communities don't have a relational sense of time. Yeah absolutely I think um, you know I think that whole thing about continuity is really important and um, of assurance and knowing that while you know obviously in these times now with social distancing, that contact can come in many forms. I mean, nothing beats face-to-face contact and face-to-face communication. But um, I think, um, yes, there are certain critical deadlines that government and and other systems need to adhere to, but then ensuring continuity and consistency over a long term is something that's really important and I think something that the arts and creativity can use as a, a means to sort of help Um, buffer the immediacy of some of those response timelines. Yeah, and understanding that uh, we we are in evolving recovery. There's a lot of conversation around the word resilience and how we understand resilience and how we learn from our experiences moving forward. What, What sort of role do you think that arts could play or creativity could play? Yeah, I think um you know, I think there's often a stigma around arts and, and, and indeed creativity about people not self-identifying what they do in their day-to-day is actually related to arts and creativity um, and culture as well in, in, its, in its own right. And so I think that act of um, reading a book, listening to music and now obviously finding new ways of sharing and talking about those experiences is something that I think can really be an important way. The arts have always been nimble and able to shape shift and able to adapt and able to 
be fit for purpose, I guess, and in these times that's going to become critical um, for, for that role to be able to continue um, and for the arts to be that glue in times of crisis. And I think um, by working out and drawing connections between um, creative practice of, of understanding of culture, of understanding of um, uh, storytelling um, is the way that the arts can sort of really help um, bring rigour and resolve to um, the way we bounce back from what's going on and has been going on so far this year. Yeah, the context of the coronavirus on top of everything else, we're working in a, a time when we are trying to look at recovery as a way of bringing people together. I mean, you've been working across community practice but also experimental arts. What sort of suggestions would you have for us moving forward in terms of how we might think of an outward looking process because a lot of the conversation currently is very inward looking it's about impact and economy and understandably it's something that is uh, massive for all of us but uh, what what would you suggest would be some ways that we maybe we could turn that lens to be more of an outward looking lens yeah I think that's a big part of the conversation and the jigsaw puzzle that again it's that thing of the immediacy of the issue and the economic impact that people seem to be focusing on now but then as the ripple starts to broaden and, and move out from the centre then how do communities respond and still remain included and still remain able to um, you know I think again that whole um, uh, importance for communities and artists and arts workers to adopt help-seeking mentalities in these times is really critical because you shouldn't isolate, you shouldn't, um, well you should physically, I guess that's the tricky thing, but you shouldn't ever feel alone is the big thing I think and, and know that there are others that are in the same boat, everyone, all of us are in the same boat. I mean I'm in the process of trying to relocate states and to a new job and there are things <clears throat> I've been telling my friends that have been contacting me all weekend saying oh my god the border's closed in WA what are you going to do and I sort of say well there are things that I know that are beyond my control I can do and respond to what the things that I can control but there's no use getting myself into a mess and, and a point of hysteria um, about things that I know will change and I know that will um, I will not be able to control and I think that's something that all of us within the art sector and within all allied sectors and within society more generally need to understand that the rapidness of change is the only thing that's going to be certain. Um, and we need to look at ways that we can, what we can influence, what we can control and how we can make the best outcome of those situations and work together to, to ensure that communities are knowing that arts, creativity and culture is one mechanism in new ways of consuming that content, be it online, be it sort of, you know, um, digitally and, and whatnot. Um, but I think that's something that we all need to, um, to consider, is that panic is not going to help anyone um, and change is the only thing that's certain at this moment in time. So where in the arts particularly, uh, going to face a pretty difficult time ahead, like we were going to be, like many contracted work 
sectors pretty heavily hit in the short term and the long term. What what's, would you say to the art sector at the moment in terms of how we deal with the next period of development? Care for yourself, care for each other, care for your communities, care for your families. Um, listen and keep communicating, I think, and sharing because we'll all come across solutions, issues, failures that everyone can learn from. Um, and so I think I've seen some of the responses on Facebook and, and other platforms that I think has been really positive, but I think that thing of keeping measured, keeping um, open, so don't sort of blink yourself to sort of, you know, yes, there are immediate issues to do with probably your own practice, your own organisation, your own audience, but be um, keep your head up every now and then to make sure that you're open for sort of seeing and learning and witnessing what others are doing and how they're responding. We've been investigating ways of how we can create better work environments and, and support containers for artists, particularly who are working with and in communities that have been impacted in some way through trauma. And uh, we've had a lot of conversations with you around this work, and I'm just wondering what you might see from your perspective as a useful way forward. What would you see as some core things that we should be addressing around around mental health, well-being and support for artists? I think, um, I mean, even something long before I joined the Australia Council, um, that the sector as a whole held up with such high regard was the First Nation protocols that came out um, many, many years ago and they became rare as hen's teeth when they had that published set of booklets across the various practice areas. And I think that way of the sector embracing and adopting a set of universal protocols um, and guidelines, I guess, in terms of how the arts should respond, work, behave, interact with, um, in that case, First Nation communities and artists, but I think the way that the arts work with other sectors as well and getting some consistency and, and universally adopted approaches um, to the way that that can happen would be really beneficial because I think um, there are so many people and organisations and practitioners and communities that respond and do it quickly but then if there was a set of go-to guidelines protocols that would be so beneficial I think in, in this situation and you know obviously just look at what's happened in 2020 so far and that alone is evidence enough for something a resource to be um, there and available and and um, available available to be applied um, on a needs basis. Do you have, uh, can you highlight any particular project you've been involved with or you are aware of that think is, is a good case example of how the arts have been applied within community either community impacted by trauma or, or something that can be applicable? I think, look, there was, I mean, it, trauma wasn't the sort of first impetus, but there was this really beautiful project that I came in sort of, I think, the second year it had been running when I was working at Dada or in Western Australia called Marsh Art. And Marsh Art began 
um, in Derby, which is a community in the Kimberley region. It's um, about a two and a half hour, hour drive north of Broome. Um, and it's in this remarkable geographic location where the community itself and township sits on a peninsula that is surrounded by marshland. And there was an annual festival, the Boab Festival, which is one of Australia's longest running regionally based festivals, um, that had an annual program of activities. But then it didn't really include First Nation communities, people that identified as disabled and other you know, socially disadvantaged or isolated groups. And so Dada, with the community, and it did it over a long term period of time, started this annual celebration called Marsh Art, which took the community out of the town and onto the marshlands and started seeing, getting that community, and Derby's quite small in the scheme of townships and by the size of population and whatnot. So this marsh area sat on the outskirts of town and we created an annual um, celebration of ephemeral art. So it was always temporary, but then this one day celebration of that place, um, which focused the artistic content on work that was created by First Nation artists, even from as far field as Moanjum Community and Art Centre, and then other um, First Nation community groups within Derby and surrounding locations, and then home and community care programs as well, so uh, programs for disabled people. And it just became this amazing, beautiful annual event that the community really embraced it got them to see that landscape in a completely new way, engage with it in a completely new way, and talk about other year-round ways that they could sort of appreciate that sort of their sense of place and identity um, outside of the immediate built environment. So that for me, yeah, it's been a beautiful, beautiful project and, um, and I think still continues in some form to, to this day. So that way of giving a legacy of your work um, that you know, continues and evolves into a celebration which might have started as a, a, initially as a way of um, overcoming some obstacle or barrier or something like that. So you're creating new, um, new cultural changes? Yeah, yeah. So from your own little toolkit, what do you have any suggestions of some self-care, strategy, creative self-care strategies that you could tell us about? <laughs> um, I have this, and I did it a lot over the weekend actually, where I just surfed the internet at some stage and just looked on, on YouTube and watched video clips of songs from my past that brought me immense pleasure and joy and laughter and, you know, geeky music and tunes and all that sort of stuff just to sort of take my mind off things for a moment when things all became a bit much. Um, and then, you know, ensuring that in a socially distant way you can still maintain outdoor walks and those sorts of things to just sort of let the mind wander and be free and think about other things than what's going on <laughs> in the here and now. But, you know... <laughs> Sophie Ellis Baxter, Mona on the dance floor, all those sorts of things. <laughs> now I'm really. <laughs> but did you dance? I hope you danced. I did. Yeah. <laughs> and of course, some good Australian music as well within that as well. Of course. 
course, of course. <laughs> Thank you, Jeremy. Greatly appreciate your time. Thank you for having me. Thanks for joining me for Creative Responders in Conversation. And many thanks to Jeremy for sharing his insights. I hope you're keeping well. These are challenging times and it's important that we stay connected. I'm really pleased that I can be here with you in this space for now and look forward to sharing a new conversation with you next month where we'll be joined by Amanda Lamont. She's a strategist in disaster resilience and disaster risk reduction. She's the co-founder of the Australasian Women in Emergencies Network and a great advocate for the arts. In the meantime, you can also connect with Creative Recovery Network on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. If you haven't heard Season 1 of our documentary series, you can find these episodes in the Creative Responders podcast feed. And join me as I visit communities around Australia to explore how the arts and creativity can repair, rebuild and reunite. If you're looking for somewhere to get started, Episode 4 is all about self-care for artists and has a wealth of useful information for these challenging times we find ourselves in. Creative Responders In Conversation is produced by me, Skosha Monkovich, and my Creative Recovery Network colleague, Jill Robson. Our sound engineer is Tiffany DeMack, and original music is composed by Mikey Squire. The Creative Recovery Network is assisted by the Australian Government through the Australia Council, its arts funding and advisory body. Thanks for listening.